Welcome to Leveling the Playing Field, a podcast featuring women who work in sport. My name is Bobby Sue Doyle Hazard. I am your host. I'm so excited that you are back for another week. And I had a really fun week this past week. Um, I, I, I just have to say thank you to the women in the Tampa Bay area who finally got together and launched a chapter of WISE, Women in Sports and Events. For whatever weird reason, even though there are so many sports entities and um, around, we never had a WISE chapter. So uh, for those of you listening who um, don't know what WISE is, it's a national organization for women who work in sports and events. Um, I think the and events is because so many of our organizations um, or facilities have more than just sports things going on, right? We often have events like concerts and conferences or whatnot. So it it was so great. Um, there were no less than five, maybe six previous guests um, of the podcast there. Um, I met some amazing people, including, listen to this. Did you know that there are women trying to start a women's sports museum? Yeah, neither did I. That's happening apparently in Sarasota, Florida. So I got to meet the lovely women who are starting that. Um, and I believe one of them, Christina, uncle, is going to um, come on and be a guest in the near future. And anyway, it was a great event. There were so many people there, probably. I mean, they said there were about 175 that were registered. Um, and I'm really excited. And so this is a reminder to those of you in Tampa um, and surrounding re- areas to sign up for WISE. Um, And if you're not in Tampa, check out and see where your nearest chapter is and sign up. It's a really, really great organization to get involved with. Um, You, especially if you're earlier in your career or you're still in school, you're able to take on leadership positions and you meet women in the industry, which is exactly, you know, what we need to be doing, right? If we want to get jobs. So um, anyway, that was like my big thing this week and it just went so well and I'm so proud of everyone for doing it. So big props to all of them. I mean, literally the people on the organizing committee, like I think three or four of them have been on the pod. And then, yeah, I saw a bunch more. So um, we had the Tampa contingent of LTPF in force. It was great. Now, on to this week's episode, we have Jenna Burns. Jenna is the Senior Vice President of the Oklahoma City Dodgers, which is the AAA affiliate for the Los Angeles Dodgers. She started off at the Frisco Rough Riders, which is whatever is after AAA, I have no idea, Um, or the same owners or something like that. Um, She tells me in the episode, and I'm so sorry that I don't remember, but she started off there in sales, um, as in group sales. And I know this is a common theme that y'all are hearing. And she's worked her way up the ladder um, with the Frisco Rough Riders. And then um, when they bought the um, Oklahoma City Dodgers, ownership asked her to go up there. When she moved there, she had to basically create a whole new sales team from scratch. She had an entire team starting on the same day. It was pretty intense, um, but a really interesting story. And 
Jenna is really known for developing her staff and building a culture of growth, both personally and professionally with her team and, um, you know, promoting from within and things like that. So this is a really great episode to follow up on last week's with Kathy Burroughs, where, you know, within that, we talked a lot about the development of staff and leadership skills and how to find those first jobs. And I do a lot of that with Jenna. I think it's because I had just interviewed Kathy and it was still a lot of this was still on my mind. Um, and then <laughs> I asked Jenna a question, which I realized after the fact may come off in a way that it, I, even though I hedged it when I asked it, um, her husband also works at the same organization that she does. So I asked and I wanted to know how they as a couple um, figure out home and work life. Um, because if you work in sports, you know that you have to be at games and you you know, are late hours and they've got itty bitties. So um, hopefully... It doesn't come off like the, how do you do it all? You know, that women get asked and that men don't get asked. I never asked that question, but because of the fact that they work at the same organization, I really wanted to know how they, as a couple, came to figure out and and work around that. So um, I hope you enjoy this episode. Jenna Burns, uh, the senior vice president of the Oklahoma City Dodgers, is coming right up. Hi, Jenna. Hi, Bobby Sue. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you? Oh, I'm okay. Um, it has only been a day this week, and it feels like it's already been a really long week. So, you know, <laughs> one of those. <laughs> I uh, I can I think I can appreciate that. We uh, we just finished our uh, we just finished our 2018 season um, that wrapped yesterday. We lost in. Uh, a game on the road. So we had a really anticlimactic finish to, uh, to our season during playoffs. So then do you have like an all hands meeting to be like, okay, everyone season done. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, we don't, um, but I will say, so we do a countdown to opening day. Um, mm. And so we did get information from our team president that that will, he gave us all a day today. Um, and then we have our countdown to 2019 opening day starting tomorrow. So, um, so it's a real quick reminder that there's just no off season. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, mm -hmm. Let's start with what I ask everyone, which is mm -hmm. how did you fall in love with sport? So good question, um, which is kind of an interesting, I guess. Uh, so sports has always just been a part of my life and I have listened to a couple of your, of your podcasts. And I think that's a pretty, uh, um, a pretty reoccurring trend, but, uh, you know, growing up, we, we played a lot of sports. Um, but as I started getting older, um, I did, you know, I certainly had an appreciation for it and just kind of what goes into, um, you know, just becoming an elite athlete. So when I was in high school and continuing to, to play, um, you know, that was just something that was really front of mind and, you know, going to college to play sports or, you know, any, any of those decisions that you have. Um, I didn't choose to go that route. So when I went to college, um, I had no idea what I wanted to be when I grew up. And, mm. um, yeah. And so, which I think is the meanest thing to ask a, an 18 year old kid, 
like declare this major and that's what you're just going to do and be. Um, but, I, um, but I, uh, so I was a communications major, um, when I was, uh, when I was in college, uh, which was basically the closest thing to undecided that I could be. Um, <laughs> and, and when I, uh, so then as I was in school and I was like trying to figure out what I, you know, what I wanted to do. Um, my dad actually told me about a, um, a minor league baseball team that was in Chillicothe, Ohio, um, that he was what? like, you know, what was yeah, that word? So, yes. Yeah, so Chillicothe, um, oh, okay. is in, uh, like South, uh, kind of like, like just Southern Ohio. Um, I went to school at Ohio university, so it was about an hour from there. And, uh, he was like, you know, I, I wonder if they, you know, they do internships. And so I got, you know, I, I got in contact with them and turns out they did. So I got a, an internship for the, uh, for the summer, um, and really got kind of a, a good taste of what it's like working in sports and, um, realized that that was a, uh, that was a direction that I wanted to, uh, that I wanted to continue in. So, um, with this internship, what, what were you basically doing? So I was a promotions intern. Um, and I, so at that team, there were three full-time staff, and then four interns. And so it was, a you know, it was, it was, um, in the frontier league, it was not affiliated, uh, just an independent, independent league team. And so, um, so it was, it was cool because really when there's only seven people that do all of these things, um, you get to learn a ton. And mm-hmm. so I, uh, so I was able to do that and I helped coordinate some of the you know, the, the quirky or funny games and, and things like that that are done on the field in between innings and, um, and did a lot of that type of stuff. So when you were, you know, you're still in school, you're still going the communications route at that mm-hmm. point after that? Yes. I never changed my major. Okay. And <laughs> so. so how did you, when you were coming up on graduation, how did you, you know, figure out the next step? So I, um, so that was the, um, and, and, an internship that I did, um, between my, I think freshman and sophomore year. And so what I continued then to do was additional internships. So I knew I wasn't going to change my major because I just, I really didn't want to go a different direction with coursework. And my organizational communication is pretty, uh, pretty valid, no matter what it is that you're doing. Um, so I wanted to make and take that experience and that opportunity to kind of, um, go that direction to build my resume in that way. So, um, so I did a couple other internships while I was in college. Um, I did one with a team in New Jersey. Um, so I moved to New Jersey for a summer, um, and lived in a campground with, um, (laughs) with with 10 other interns. Um, so there were 17 interns at the team. Seven of them were local, 10 were from all across the country. Um, and so the housing that we, um, were directed to was at this campground. And so, um, yeah, so I lived in a camper for a summer. Okay. All right. Um, so that's one way to go. I mean, it, it, well, it certainly was good stories. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. I think that's for a totally different podcast, but, um, but that was, uh, that was a really fun summer. Um, and then after that, I interned, um, with the Nashville sounds, um, and then, um, was able to get my first full-time role, uh, with the Frisco Rough Riders in Texas. When you, um, went to the Rough Riders, what, what were you doing when you first started? So I was a group sales coordinator. Ah, 
Yes. So I had the whole time doing all these internships, I never did ticket sales, um, which was a probably pretty big oversight on my part, but I didn't realize that that was so important at that time. Um, and so when I was looking for jobs, all I could find were sales jobs, right? And so I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm just, I'm going to do this because I've decided this is the direction that I want to go and, and, you know, we'll figure it out. So I got the, um, it's called the minor league baseball directory. And it's just a book of every, you know, all 160 minor league baseball teams in it. And it has front office staff and contact information because it's not like, like the internet was around when I was trying to, to get my first job in sports. Um, but like, it wasn't, it wasn't as big of a thing. Right. So I'm yeah. like mailing resumes and doing all that stuff. And so I blindly mailed a resume to the Frisco Rough Riders and got a phone interview and face-to-face interview and, and then got hired there. So, um, it was a pretty interesting turn of events in the sense that I stumbled into what is a really, or what was a really amazing opportunity of a great, a great leadership um, a really heavy emphasis on training. Um, so even though I had never done ticket sales, I was in the right place to learn the best way to do it. It's so interesting that you say that because um, by the time this comes out, there will be another episode before yours. And mm-hmm. it's with um, Kathy Burroughs. Mm-hmm. And so we we talk a lot in that episode about how important finding that first job is and um, the people that you work for in the management structure there and their propensity for training as opposed mm-hmm. to just kind of being like, here's a book of numbers, call them. Right. Right. I've heard Kathy speak a couple of times on that. Um, and, and she's right. I'm, I'm excited to, to hear that podcast, but, um, but I know that was such a, it was such a crucial thing for me. And if you, you look back at that and I had no idea what I was doing. Um, and so if I would have found myself in a situation where no one was there to, to really guide me and, and teach me how to get better, mm-hmm. there's no way I would have stuck with it. And there's also no way I would have been any good at it. How do you, um, when you, I know that you are really big on training and leadership and um, development of staff. How do you, when people say, hey, Jenna, can you talk to me for 15 minutes, 20 minutes, you know, trying to get into sports? What do you say to them when they're like, I, you know, how do I find that, that right fit, that good first job that's going to give me that direction? Yeah. So I, I will always take those. Um, I'll always take those, those phone calls or those email requests. Um, because I think it's such a a really special part of the sports industry that I find that a lot of team executives, um, are always willing to take their time to help people grow and help them, um, you know, almost kind of a pay it forward type situation. Um, so I think that's awesome. And so I find I ask a lot of questions that's um, I think sometimes people don't really um, maybe enter into a phone conversation with me thinking that like that's the way it's going to be. I'm going to just like give them all sorts of great nuggets of information. And unfortunately, that's just not like (laughs) I I don't have that. Um, (laughs) But I but I do think that um, some of the skills right now that I'm observing of recent college graduates is they're not, there's not asking enough questions. And I think to find your best path and your best fit, 
you you have to. It shouldn't be seen as like, hey, you know what? I'm just going to get a job any place that I can just find and then I'll figure it out from there. I think that that you have to take a better, just a better approach to your career path. Um, you have to be the person that cares the most about where you uh, where you start your career, um, and not leave that up to a, a manager or your parents or you know any other any other stakeholder with that. So, what kind of questions do you recommend that students ask? So, I think that. They need to they need to talk a lot about what the expectations are, um, you know, especially in, you know, in minor league baseball, you know, we have 70 home games. So what does that look like from a um, you know, work life balance is such a <laughs> buzz phrase these days. So what does that mean for them um, and, and what their expectations are with that? And, you know, how especially in a sales role in my first year, what are my what are my goals for that, you know, what's my compensation structure? You know, I find that people will get a couple months into a job and then they'll start like putting feelers out about, you know, well, this wasn't what I was expecting. And on one hand, absolutely, it's the responsibility of the hiring manager to to walk you through that. But at the same time, again, you have to care more about your career path than anyone else. So asking those questions to determine if it's the right fit. Do you you? Do you ever find it off-putting if somebody starts asking questions like that? Like, you know, what's going to be expected of me hours-wise? Um, how much training are you going to do for me? I, I feel as though people, particularly younger in their career, but even, you know, at my stage, like sometimes it's a little awkward to ask those questions. Or you almost feel like someone's going to look at you and be like, what the fuck? Do you want the job or do you not? <laughs> right. Now, I certainly don't like when when you're going through the process and the interviewee um, is takes an approach like um, like they would be doing you a favor to say yes, because I think that that when you are finding a good fit, it has to be beneficial for both parties. Um, and, uh, you know, so I think it a lot of times it necessarily isn't what someone's trying to ask. It's just how they ask it. Um, mm-hmm. But I know, like, if someone is is asking about, like, hey, can you can you walk me through my, what the clear expectations of this role are? Um, then that's that's great. Like, absolutely, let's talk about that. Um, I also, well, I also don't mind, you know, if someone asks about compensation early in the process because, you know, what if it's not a good fit for you know for either one? Um, then I certainly don't want to continue down this path. If it's, you know, if we're going to get almost to the goal line and then it's going to be a, you know, I thought this would be a different package. So I'm okay with people asking questions all the, all the way along, mm-hmm. um, as long as they're questions that are going to help provide clarification for either side on whether or not it's a good fit. Sure. I know that, you know, it's always funny when you get to a point where, you know, you're, you've not been told a salary range, um, <laughs> And out of nowhere, you know, your whoever your ultimate boss is going to be looks at you and is like, so what do you, you know, what are we thinking for salary? And you're like, <laughs> I have a lot of thoughts on that. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think that's one of the most uncomfortable parts of any of those conversations. Right. Right. And, and as women in the industry in particular, I think a lot of times we're like, I, I, I literally have no idea. I mean, there, there isn't a ton. Well, I think it depends. 
in some types of roles. I think there's more data than others. But what do you mm-hmm. suggest to, I mean, in someone's first job, if they're going to be a, a, you know, group sales rep, you mm-hmm. know, are, are they going to be expected to answer that question? Or is somebody going to say, here's what you're going to get paid. Just know this. <laughs> usually in an entry level role, I think it's a little bit more of the second than the first. You know, we don't usually ask, you know, what are your salary requirements um, for an entry level spot? Because, you know, everyone really is is on a level playing field at that point. Um, you know, I would I would always recommend do your research in advance. Know, you know, whatever position that you're interviewing for, use some of your contacts within the industry um, to to just ask questions of, hey, what what should I be expecting from a compensation standpoint? Um, you know, because at one point, you, you know, you don't want to provide some number that's like super crazy and outlandish, but at the same time, you certainly don't want to undervalue yourself. So I, uh, so I think there's a, a pretty, you know, there's a pretty good balance there, but I think at the other, at the other point, I'm, usually in uh, some sort of revenue producing area. Um, so, I mean, I can come up with some pretty good numbers. So I think you, uh, I think you, you certainly just don't want to, you don't want to undervalue yourself. Have you ever not hired someone when their response to that question was immediate, like without further discussion, it was overshooting or do you usually go back and you're like, so that's, quite high. (laughs) Let us tell you like a range that we're looking at. Yeah. Well, and that's the, that's the whole thing too. Like you, you also as the person who's on the, who's sitting on the other side of the table saying, what are your salary requirements? You have to, you know, you have to provide some additional context in some, in some ways. Um, And so I, I will never, count somebody out for a role if they don't answer a question in, you know, the exact right way. Um, but I think it, it certainly opens the door for us to have an additional conversation about it. Sure. Do you, um, what, if someone doesn't actually give you a number, is that good or bad? My preference is always just to put it out on the table and (laughs) give me a number and then we can go from there. Um, you know, but again, it's just because it's, it's easier, right. Than having this like tiptoe around like, Oh, what do they think I want? Or what do I think that they want to hear me say or, or whatever? Um, so I don't know. I just think it's, I just think it's easier. Yeah. And it's something that like, I I feel like we still don't talk enough about, like, Mm -hmm. you don't really ever learn how to do that. How to, you know, how to go through that scenario and people will be like, oh, yeah, you just say, you know, you give some general saying about like, well, depending on the total package and right, you know, like I'm looking at X amount. And then, you know, then you have other people who are who just don't handle the question well and go, well, you know, I have to be able to afford to live here and pay my student loans. Right. Right. And we certainly get that also. And it's also like, I get it. It's, it can be pretty uncomfortable. Um, and especially if you are, uh, maybe it's your first time going through something like that. Um, but yeah, I think that the best thing is just to, to treat it as an opportunity to either learn a little bit more about the, uh, about the position. Um, but certainly, uh, certainly don't undervalue yourself. Yeah. And I think that that's, I think that's the hardest part in sales. It, I feel as though at least from the beginning, there is that level playing field. 
Um, mm-hmm. You know, with <laughs> I'm such a dork. Everyone, like <laughs> you can all be laughing at me right now. It's fine. This is staying in. Um, <laughs> it's fine. Um, and I, I think that that makes it, you know, because if you're looking, it's hard to deny numbers, right? So if you're right. looking at sales numbers, revenue numbers or whatever, it's kind of easier to go from there. I think when you're looking at roles like mine or like yours now, mm-hmm. it can be a little dicier for people, you know, midway through their career when they're not entirely sure. Um, right. And it just ends up being, I don't know, sometimes it can get really funny. Um, but I like that advice that you have of, you know, it's good to know that you're not going to lose an opportunity right. if you overshoot, right? Because yeah. I think that's what we always are afraid. Like, oh my God, if I say too much, they're going to be like, F this girl. Well, and that's the other thing is if you if you do, let's say you overshoot, right? Because mm-hmm. like I said, probably... <laughs> probably too many times right now, you don't undervalue yourself. Right. But on the, on the flip side of that, as the hiring manager, if I tell you that, that that's, that's, that's not necessarily, you know, appropriate for, for the position, then don't be pissed at me for that. So, you know, we're, we're all just here to, to work together and figure this out. And if you do, you know, shoot too high and somebody says, forget you, do you really want to work for that person? Right. Right. Exactly. And if, again, if you've done your research, you have a a general Mm -hmm. idea of where you should be at. You're probably going to say more than that because of negotiating room. And then, you know, you'll know if they're trying to undercut you and they aren't going to value you through your career because you're setting your baseline for and what you should really expect to be making from them for quite a while. Right. You know, depending on the organization, there may not be many opportunities to increase that Mm -hmm. um, on an annual basis. Right. I don't know how we got into this conversation, but I don't know either. It's it's good, though. Yeah, I think so. I mean, we've not really talked about it on the podcast before. So. All right. There's some fun tips for y'all. How did you end up at the OKC Dodgers? So the, okay. So when I was with the Frisco Rough Riders, we were part of, um, a group of teams called Mandalay Baseball Properties. So at one point, Mandalay Baseball Properties owned, um, I think at the highest, we owned seven teams across the country. And so, um, when I was in Frisco, I had been there for six seasons. I started as a group sales coordinator, as I mentioned, and, um, eventually was group sales manager and director. Um, and then when I, um, left there, I was the senior director of ticket sales. We had just, um, committed to purchase the team here in Oklahoma city. And, um, and I had the opportunity to come up here and oversee my own ticket sales team. Wow. That's fantastic. And that's pretty rapid growth within an organization. Yeah, it is. Well, and that's, I think that's one of the really cool and interesting things about minor league baseball that gets overlooked pretty frequently is, um, you know, in, in oftentimes if you, if you are there and you do really well, um, and you, you know, you, you trust the process and you stick to it, um, and you have a great organization that believes in promotion from within, then you have the ability to, to climb the ranks pretty quickly. I think, I think a good, well, one of the reasons for that is 
people eventually leave to go to major league, right? Mm-hmm. Or another, and I feel like minor league tends to be people's first stop a lot of times. Not everyone, uh-huh. but a lot of times. So it does give that opportunity for movement up. Mm-hmm. It absolutely, it absolutely is. We do a lot um, here, you know, with our ticket sales team. We have about twenty sales reps, um, and uh, and so you know, finding good people, doing a ton of training, um, are some of our you know really key pillars. And then the promotion within aspect is is big. Um, we do have turnover. I think that uh, the word is out on our um, hiring and training practices uh, because we uh, we do have some rep turnover of of going to. Uh, to big four teams, um, college athletics, some of those, um, some of those different areas. And then you also have some people that just get partway in and they're like, you know what? I, uh, I've just decided that sports just isn't for me. So we see both. So you, you're being poached. Yes. Yeah, oh my is, gosh. Which That's, is kind you know, it's kind of like a it's nice, flattering. it is except for then you got to start all over again. Right. You're like, man, right. this what, I, we had done, we'd really invested a lot of resources here. Um, so, and we, you know, we have a big kind of internal speaking point with our sales reps is if you, you know, if you learn of a new opportunity, let us know, um, for no other reason than just let us be a resource for you. If you, if you're looking to, to move on and it's going to be a positive step in your career, then, then like, why would we ever want to stand in the way of that? So right. here, I'll, you know, I'll be a reference for you or, or whatever that looks like. Um, because we also, you know, we want anytime we turn a uh, sales rep into, uh, <laughs> back into the wild and they go to a different team, you know, that's, that's again, that, that carries our, our brand and our team name and my personal brand. And so we want to make sure that we, we have people going to the, the best places for them. I think, that, well, that's just incredible. Um, and I want to get to all of that in just a second. This episode is brought to you by our friends at San Diego State University's Sports MBA program, a full-time sports-focused MBA program in San Diego, California. One of the unique features of this program is its study abroad trip to the Dominican Republic. This hands-on course explores each step of a prospect's path to the big leagues, from skinny kids on makeshift playing fields to the high-pressure world of scouts, agents, and contracts. MBA students study teams' education systems and propose policies to assist the many prospects who don't make it to the big show. SDSU students volunteer with young women in local communities by encouraging them to play sports, an area where girls are often overlooked due to the boys' big money baseball dreams. Students put on a sports-focused workshop aimed at promoting inclusion and reducing domestic violence. This is a once-in-a-lifetime experience that is only available through SDSU Sports MBA. Apply today at sdsu.edu slash sports MBA. That's sdsu.edu slash sports MBA. When you started with your own you know, ticket sales team at OKC, how did that expand into all of a sudden Basically, everything was under you. <laughs> so, um, so that would have been in September of 2010. Uh, so we went through an ownership change. There were existing employees here. Um, that that time, the team only had, I think, four sales reps. And so my first couple of weeks here were really just observation and some training to see, you know, where everyone who was here could fit. Um, 
And then our goal was to have 17 sales reps in that first year. So um, of the four, I think only one stuck around. And then, um, and so then we hired 16 sales reps. Um, 10 started on the same day. It was the Monday after Thanksgiving. And it was, and it was a pretty, it was the wild west. I mean, we were all, um, you know, we were all gearing up for our first season with new ownership and, um, we had totally changed everything about like our ticket sales philosophies and practices. And, you know, we started offering more than just a full season ticket package. So the training of the, the marketplace was pretty remarkable. And so, um, you know, so we went through, this huge undertaking and then also throw in the fact that you know, we had 16 new sales reps that were all, you know, in most cases, either this was their first or, or maybe second job out of out of college. So, you know, some of the, the different personnel aspects of that go into uh, that go into entry level careers. Um, and uh, and at that time. Um, I was the only person in the uh, in the sales department as a as a, uh, as the vice president of ticket sales. And so all of them reported straight to me. And so it was just a, it was a, just a really wild time. Whoa. So how, good God, how did you take all these baby salespeople and, <laughs> and manage to form them into fully, you know, voracious adult salespeople. I mean, it's hard enough, I think, when you have a solid staff and then you add one or two people here or there, Mm -hmm. right? But that many and that early in their career, I mean, not that, you know, later in their career would be any better because I bet you'd have to retrain them. Right. Um, But how on earth did you, did you approach that? Well, so it's interesting that you say that it's, it's almost better to have them before they uh, before they have experience in other places, just because you have to do some retraining there. So at least everyone started here. Um, that uh, you know they they all started kind of around that same time uh, with similar experience levels, and um, and I think the thing that we had going for us was everyone in that first year we were just kind of all in it together. So we weren't necessarily. You know, we were absolutely doing a lot of sales training, but we were also building a culture of our organization. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think having that end game in my mind was super important. Um, I get um, I get teased occasionally now because our current vice president of ticket sales was one of the 10 who started Oh, wow. um, on, the, on that Monday. And it's so funny. So I hired him. I extended an offer to him the Tuesday before Thanksgiving. And I said, look, I get that it's last minute, but you're the last person I'm going to hire to be part of this group. And everybody who works in sales has, or everybody who works in sports has a story. And so if you get here on Monday, this is your story. Oh, that's hilarious. He, he will continue to tell uh, sales reps that now of, you know, when people are like, oh gosh, I don't know if I can get there in two weeks. And he's like, you know, that's his uh, walking to, to school uphill both ways story. But, um, (laughs) (laughs) but I mean, it's the Tuesday before (laughs) Thanksgiving and you just graduated college in May and you don't have a job, like get your butt there. 
get on your horse, man. He did. And he's been great. So, uh, so it was definitely a, a, a positive hiring decision, but, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, so I think, you know, that, that building of building of a culture and, um, and having an appreciation for what our, our end game is. But I started to, to share that story because he will every once in a while say something to the effect of like, you're a lot nicer now. And so I have to, (laughs) of course I am. Of course I'm a lot nicer now. You know, I don't have 17 first year sales reps reporting to me at this point, um, which will make anyone crazy. And uh, yeah, but, but, you know, I, I think that you, you have to, you have to take a step back and say, this is, this is what this department needs from me right now. And it's certainly, it's not going to be really nice and it's not going to be really nurturing, um, but there's going to be structure and there's going to be consistency and we're going to get this done. So that was an important thing for us in that first year. I know that you, um, you know, you do focus a lot on development and on, you know, working with your sales team, you know, whether it's you or your VP, you know, on an individual basis. Was that even possible that first year? It, uh, it, it was, it was kind of like you had to, you had to identify who your top performers were and people that you really wanted to stick around and, and spend more time with them. Um, you know, which isn't, you know, isn't necessarily the absolute best practice, um, you know, because you certainly, some of the mid, um, kind of those mid-level reps, you know, I, I feel like I probably had some that could have been better if I would have had the time to, to devote, to spend with them. Um, but that just wasn't a resource that I had. And then, you know, you, you get through that year and (laughs) when, when does your role expand into anything to do with revenue comes under you? (laughs) <laughs> so that was, um, in the 2015 season. So quite a few, um, quite a few seasons, um, of, of kind of that format of really me overseeing the, the ticket sales team. Um, at one point, um, actually it was when I was, uh, when I was pregnant with my first daughter, um, I have two, I have two girls. Um, but when I was pregnant with Peyton, she, um, I hadn't told, I hadn't told anyone here, um, the, well, uh, the, on- the only, the only person who knew was, uh, was our team president. And the only reason at that point is that he is my husband. So, <laughs> um, so, um, so I felt like it was really important, um, before just like hauling off and being like, Oh, I'm pregnant to go and have a, a pretty fully developed plan. Because as soon as you start announcing things like that, you know, people are just people, right? So the first thing they want to know is, well, how does this affect me? And so I felt like managing all of the the sales reps, I never wanted for somebody to have a thought that there could be, um, you know, that their job could be in jeopardy or that life as they knew it was going to be drastically different. Um, So it also allowed me a little bit of time um, to really evaluate who we had on our, on our team. And so I had had, excuse me, sales reps that had um, really separated themselves and and shown that they were ready for more of a management position. So in doing this, I was able to restructure our ticket sales team um, so that there was a manager in outside sales, group sales and inside sales um, to, to help kind of provide coaching and guidance um, and also let me take 
you know, take 12 weeks for, uh, for maternity leave. And so, um, you know, so it's, it's always a funny thing. That was the, the first, um, the first time that we did some restructuring. Um, I coincidentally also did it right before, um, I had our second daughter, um, <laughs> to, <laughs> funny uh, how that happens just to make, you know, it's like kind of one of those things really hold your feet to the fire. Like, Oh, Hey lady, you know, you're not going to be here for three months. Is your house really in order? So, mm-hmm. um, you know, so that was really, that was really helpful to have that as a <laughs> little bit of an incentive. Oh, for um, sure. So, but to answer your question, I, um, so I became senior vice president, um, in 2015 and, um, and really started to be able to go and, um, and get really excited about, um, some of the different, um, you know, just some of the different opportunities of, you know, I still love having my hand in the, the ticket sales and revenue piece, but we also have a special events department here. So non-baseball events, um, that's where those, uh, those revenue opportunities originate. Um, and then also we have our marketing communications and, and game presentation department that, um, that I work with now. And that is a lot, especially like game presentations is with how many games you have and mm-hmm. and figuring that out and I don't know how intricate it is for you all I I'm <laughs> very aware of how intricate it is for us I'm sure <laughs> and you know that alone it can take so much time right now don't like and don't don't let me mislead you we have a incredibly talented people who oversee very specifically, um, all of those areas, you know, so our director of marketing is, is relatively new. He has a, a background in NASCAR and, and major league soccer and, and came new to us this year and has just done a great job with that department. Um, and so, you know, it's great to have great people. <laughs> so, um, so that, uh, so that certainly makes a big difference. What, um, what are you all able to to offer or how are you i guess attracting that talent so in a lot of cases you know especially with um, some of our director level positions we we have things that we can offer here that you just you don't have access to at major league teams um, in the sense of you know, anyone, almost anyone here that's a director level, like you have a seat at the table, right? So you're in department head meetings. Um, you are able to look outside of just the kind of your, your own, um, your own silo, if you will, of your department. Um, and those are things when you have a staff, our size, you know, we have uh, 48 full-time staff, which, you know, for a minor league baseball perspective of 160 teams, that's huge. That's yeah. like top one or two. Um, but when you put it in perspective of, it will impact 500,000 people through the gates this year and, you know, the number of events that we host and, um, and some of those different, different things, everyone really has to be on the same team. Um, and so we depend on, on our, our team leadership to, to be willing to, to pitch in and offer ideas and manpower in different areas. So, um, so you have to be pretty flexible in that way. Oh, I think that's great. I think you know, it's one of the hardest things to do is to find talent that fits and fits your culture um, and that you're able to retain, right? Right. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, it, that's, it's very easy to lose good people. Um, and, you know, I've seen it all over the place um, at many of the jobs that I've had. And 
um, you're always like, oh, if only they would X, Y, or Z, and we wouldn't lose this amazing mm-hmm. person. Um, what What are some of the 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 tools that you're using to help with the development of your staff and to to keep them engaged? So I find that uh, information and and consistent communication is something that people are always just really starving for. Um, and so we used to get a lot of information from our employees actually during the, uh, during the exit interview process of, you know, well, I feel like you know, I didn't have enough communication and, you know, we sh- should have more information and, and things like that. So, um, so internal communication has been a big focus for us and really ramping that up um, because, you know, it's almost like when I was a sales rep, if you, you just, you didn't know about other things that were going on in the organization, but I don't know that I really knew any better because in my mind, I'm like, no, I'm here to sell tickets. And so that's what I'm going to do. And that is, it's a much different mindset. Information is not, um, it's, it's not scarce any longer. I mean, you, you have information blasted at you always. And so people have also an expectation with that from the place that they show up every day to go to work, that they're going to know, what's going on. Um, and so we found that that's been really, um, a really helpful tool for us and a really, a really important piece. Um, and the other thing that we really try to focus on is training for manager level. Um, so in a lot of, in a lot of cases, and this was my, you know, this was my upbringing was you were a great sales rep. So obviously if you're a great sales rep, then you should manage the department. Um, and in, in fact, that's not, that shouldn't be the thing because it's not the same personality. That's not the same. Yeah. That's just, you know, that's just not the same set of skills. Um, and so what we find is, um, that first time managers are there. That's a scary, it's a scary person at that point. Like they don't really know what they're doing. Um, but they, <laughs> they have a they lot of people's lives good. in their hands. <laughs> yes. You know, but they know they want to be good at it, you know? And so, um, and so we do a lot of training with people in roles like that, um, that are also, you know, they're going to start directly impacting performance of, of their new team members. Um, and so that's a, that's a really kind of a crucial turning point for us. And it, what does that look like for people? Um, you know, I've throughout the years looked at and talked about different leadership styles or taken a <laughs> you know, skills test or, uh, you know, there are all these different ways of doing it. Right. So what are you, what do you do? Like, and what do you suggest if, if somebody is like, doesn't have this where they work besides the fact that they should apply to work for you, <laughs> right? what could they be doing at home, you know, on their own, do you right. think to, to help with the, these issues? Well, I would, <laughs> One of the things is, you know, we have some formal training, right? So like your, um, you know, more in depth, you know, we will take a day and go through like, okay, you're a first time manager. So this is what this is going to look like for you. And we walk through, um, you know, kind of start to finish with expectations and, you know, how to, how to have crucial conversations with team members and, you know, some of those different, different points. Um, but then there's also pretty informal training along the way. And so I think that a lot of times people can get really focused on like, 
oh, well, you know, training has to be or has to look like one thing or another. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't, it doesn't have to, there should be a bunch of, a bunch of different, you know, looks and feels of that. So formal, informal. Um, the one thing that I'm a really big believer in is consistent feedback. And so if, you know, somebody does something that feels like maybe it could have gone a different direction or, um, it could have been a little bit different for them, then we'll talk about that right then. Um, on the flip side, if somebody does something really well, I also try to provide that um, in a very timely manner, although I'm uh, still struggling to uh, to do that maybe as often or as good as I should. Um, but uh, but just a, a, few, a few hours ago, um, I met with someone who's going to be doing um, screening calls for the first time. She's in the marketing department and... Um, and so we are, we're hiring a, uh, a position there right now. The director needs a little bit of assistance. And so we said, you know what, let's give, um, let's give this person an opportunity to continue growth and development and take a little bit of ownership of this new person that's going to be a, a teammate of theirs. And so we sat down and said, okay, so here's, you know, when you do a screening call, this is what that should look like. Um, and so our, <laughs> the, our director of marketing said, this is really interesting because the first time I had to do a screening call my director just gave me like 10 resumes and said, Hey, call these people, ask them some questions and uh, let me know what you think. (laughs) So, so it's, so it's really just about providing maybe a little bit of extra coaching and a little extra context, no matter where anyone is within that. Um, I guess their skill set. Do you, um, what do you do for yourself for personal growth, you know, or or professional growth? You know, you're kind of, I mean, your next step is to take your husband's job. So <laughs> what? <That's> right. <laughs> Sorry, Mike. Um, <laughs> so then what do you, you know, what do you do for yourself so that you're still um, sharp and feeling engaged? So we, you know, I'm pretty fortunate here in Oklahoma City. There's a lot of leadership opportunities. Um, so finding ways to, um, you know, I sit on a couple different boards. So finding ways to be ingrained in the community, I think is a really important growth piece for me. Um, and then also we have, it's called leadership OKC and it's a program of, um, 40, um, 40 to 50 professionals that are in different industries. And so we'll go through, actually, I start this week. Um, and so I'm pretty excited about this opportunity, but we start and, um, and we have these day long real, you know, in-depth training sessions, um, to help you continue to grow as a professional. So, um, I think at this point, I can't say that a lot of things I do are really within the sports industry, but I I think it's important to always look outside Mm -hmm. just to draw inspiration from different areas. Um, I wish I love to read. I wish I had a little more time uh, in my life right now. I mentioned I have two daughters. One right. is um, 14 months and the other one is four. And so we're just kind of really in the thick of that yeah. <laughs> and, and coming off of the season. So, um, but I love any sort of, um, any sort of books related to leadership management Um and then also just kind of standard business operations. I think there's a lot to be learned from from all those different areas. Yeah, I think that, I mean, that sounds kind of where I'm at with a lot of that stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think business ops in general, God, I know for me, because I'm so siloed in the, the legal, even though I'm lucky I have the whole view because everything ends up coming through me at some point. Right. And if it doesn't, 
it's not usually a good sign when I find out (laughs) Um, something usually went wrong. But um, so I have a, a broader perspective than most, I think. But, you know, how often am I like involved in, you know, coming up with a business plan or budgeting, Mm -hmm. you know, and so trying to make sure that I still keep myself abreast of those things, even where I am now in my career, you know, Um, they may not be my ultimate responsibility at some point or another, but it's good to have that knowledge and to kind of grow your skill set. We have Leadership Tampa Bay. Oh, Um, nice. Yeah. mm -hmm. And I don't remember who's in this year's class from us, but we usually have, you know, one person in, in each class. And, um, and I think that that's, it's a good opportunity. It's great for networking Mm -hmm. and, um, and provides a great opportunity to connect with community endeavors. Absolutely. That's been, uh, that's been a pretty, uh, pretty exciting um, I guess takeaway for me right now is we did a little, I've done an orientation lunch. And so we have our retreat this Thursday and Friday. So probably oh, a lot of icebreakers. There's going to be a lot of activities. Yeah. I think I always <laughs> worry about things like that where I'm like, Oh, icebreakers. Like it reminds me of high school student government. <sighs> and you're like, Ugh. Uh, it's so good. It's so, I love it. The just all of the icebreakers. I'm so in on those because I love I love like the the weirder the better of just like what's a fun fact about yourself and um, just hearing what people say because people are just interesting, right? Like yeah, everybody has a story, and you know I don't know the weirder the better. I don't know. There's always like something where you have to touch people. And I'm like, I just, I just met you. Can we not have to sit on each other's lap while there's like a circle that's formed by all of us sitting on each other's laps? I don't know. I mean, how are you supposed to bond? That's really what takes you to that next level, right? I mean, and like, maybe this is not done anymore, but it was certainly done when I was in high school. And You know, imagine being in high school and doing that and you're like, how awkward could this be? Like, anyway, um, I think grown adults don't do things like that, but I could be wrong if they do. I could be wrong. But I will let you know if I go through the retreat on Thursday and Friday and there's any um, icebreaker activities that uh, that provide human contact. I'll let you know. Oh, if there is a trust fall where people are talking shit about each other, like in Mean mm-hmm. Girls, I'm mm-hmm. I need video of that. <laughs> I'll see what I can do. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I I I have a question to ask, and I I feel as though I need to like couch it so that everyone doesn't like pitchfork me and be like, "Oh my God, you're such a feminist, and you just ask such an anti-feminist question." Listen. I'm asking the question because she and her husband work at the same organization. Okay. That's the only reason I'm asking this question. How the hell do you do it with two kids? Oh, that's great. So I think it's super funny. Um, Number one. (laughs) I would never ask somebody this otherwise, but I'm like, you both work at the same organization. So this is really like, there's gotta be something going on. Yeah. So I, um, so I have, I have so many different, uh, so many different ways to answer this because I get this question all the time. Um, interestingly enough, uh, no one ever asks my husband. Um, oh, I will. When I meet him, I will. 
how challenging it is, you know, to work with your spouse or to make it work or, or whatever. So, um, so I, uh, so we have, um, grown our organization into a point that I don't have to be at every home game and he doesn't either. Um, we always make the joke that like, if we really need to be here on a, like a Monday or Tuesday night, then like we've done something wrong. So we, um, you know, we really work with our leadership team so that there's one game lead, um, on that night. And, you know, for our Fridays and Saturdays, our sellout nights, our bigger, our bigger events, um, everyone will be here. But for some of those that we can catch a little time at home or time with our families, that's important, not just for Michael and I, but for every person in our company. And so we really try to, to respect that and, and make sure that people have that time. Um, so I don't work games on Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, or Sundays. Okay. So that's how, that's really how we're able to do this. Um, and I have a great babysitter, um, on Thursdays, Fridays, and Saturdays. Um, and so we, uh, so that's really the, the key point for us. Um, I'm from Ohio. Michael's from Texas. Um, we don't really have, you know, built-in babysitters here with, uh, with grandparents and things like that. Um, so, uh, so our village just looks a little bit different, um, yeah. but we've been able to, we've been able to find some really great people. Um, and, uh, um, and they, you know, they're, they're people that we can depend on to help with, uh, help with all of our, our childcare needs. And I'm guessing that he does a lot of the parenting as well, you know, yes. it, as, to offset when you do need to be there and he doesn't and, and things along those lines. Correct. And one I think, expect. yes. And I think, you know, it's always, you always see these like articles on like scary mommy on Facebook and things like that. And it's just like, Oh, my husband, you know, watches our kids equal time. And that's like, well, of course he does. Cause they're his freaking kids. Right. So I hate when, when <laughs> someone's like, I have to babysit my kids. I'm like, they're your children. It's not babysitting. It's just not. It just isn't. Sorry, I just blew out everybody's ears. That I have no children, and that gets me so angry when I hear that. I don't know why. I have. It's just. It's just so weird. All I just want to be is like, you, you know what? You. I don't even know. I can't even get mad at you because you're just an idiot. Like I don't even know what to <laughs> say to you right now. This is also. So, we're recording this a couple days after the whole Serena U.S. Open thing, and I'm right. still raging about that internally. So, right. Don't mind me as I, you know, no swing my burning bra around. Um, <laughs> no bras were harmed in the recording of this episode. <laughs> Filming of this, so I good. would never do that. Once you find ones that fit really well, you just gotta keep with them. Anywho. Just the truth. Yeah, this is all staying in. I don't care. Um, <laughs> so um, have you ever read Drop the Ball? Have I told you no. about this book yet? No, I, think I haven't you, read it. It's a great book. Um, but I mean, I'm sure you guys already have it figured out. It's funny. I'm like such an ass. I'm like, I'm single and I have no kids. Read this book. That's really good for parents and married people. Like what? Anyway, um, Tiffany Dufu um, is amazing she's just like really um fierce you know woman and you know she was trying to do all the things um and at one point she's like we've i've got to drop the like something's got to drop like you know mm -hmm. the not be a perfectionist type thing so if it's like okay we're getting cupcakes from a the grocery store you know for the bake sale then that's just gonna have to be fine but also it was like it goes into it was really good for me to read because i think 
for me and setting expectations for any, I don't know, person who deigns to attempt to be in a relationship with me. Um, <laughs> it will, it's helpful to kind of know how to go into some of these conversations. Like how do we share all of the things that we do at home so that it's not just like expected it, but not talked about. Right. So right. they literally like wrote down all of the things that, they do at home with the kids, you know, all of the little responsibilities, like who's the one who always responds to um, birthday invites, you know, like (laughs) even that minute. Right. And they like assigned who was going to do it so that it was more of a shared load. And then like during times when like maybe she needed to be able to focus and, and travel more, like it would shift a little bit, but it just opened up this like great conversation. And at one point they both were like, you know, if a kid misses a birthday every once in a while, they miss a birthday every month, you know, party once in mm-hmm. a while. They, and they just kind of are okay with that. And that's fine. And that's how it's going to be. It's a really, really good book. Yeah. I think the one thing um, that we have going for us is we do work together. We spend a lot of time together. Um, and, uh, and so as far as like being on the same page and high levels of communication, both personally and professionally, we're pretty good in that area. Um, and so it makes, it just makes things so much easier. Um, and I'm a pretty big believer in like, if, if I have one, you know, something that's pretty specific that I, that I need to share, then I like to just put all of the information out there and, uh, and never make somebody guess what I'm trying to, what I'm trying to get across. So. No, I think that, I mean, that's fantastic. Communication can be so, so difficult in relationships, um, and at work, but you, you have the, I guess, luxury, privilege, experience, (laughs) of having, you know, known your husband in a professional setting the entire time you've known him. Right. You guys worked together before, right? We did. Yes. When we were, uh, when we were with the team in Frisco, um, is when we started dating, we had been friends for about, oh gosh, I don't know, about, about a year and a half. Um, and then, uh, and then we started dating. So I always tell people that I was about 70% sure that I was going to marry him before we started dating. Oh my um, God. Because I think when you That's so cute. enter into the, enter into the unknown of dating in the workplace, um, that's, uh, I, I felt like it was important, important to, uh, um, to really not, uh, not enter into that if, it, if I didn't think that was going to be a pretty sure thing. So, yeah. And you know, that happens fairly frequently at teams. I mean, at our team, Jesus, I, we've got so many couples. It's, it's pretty remarkable. Um, and I think it makes sense. You spend all your time there. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> there's a lot, of, there's a lot with that going along, uh, along that line though. Um, it's something that I talked to Kathy about that. I've talked to Tara Black at the Charlotte checkers about, um, and it's a recurring theme that pops up is, you know, women in our industry are dropping out much quicker than than men are leaving the industry um, at earlier um, ages and, and parts of their career. And so how do we how do we make it a space that, it, that they want to stay in? 
Well, I think you know, to get to to really the root of that, you know, I think there's a couple of different reasons for it. And I would I would also, you know, if we can just kind of talk through this a little bit, what do you think is the reason that people that women are leaving? I, you know, part of me thinks back to Lean In and how like there there's that self sabotage almost mm-hmm. of like thinking about the man that you haven't even met yet that is going to be your husband whose children you're going to have but once again you've not met this person yet and so taking the next role up in sports means more hours and what if you don't have enough time for the guy that you haven't met yet and the children that you're going to have i was just going when you asked that question originally lean in is where my mind went yeah um because and that was such a, I think that was such an important part of that book, um, and it's one women that um, that are here um, with our team that you know when they kind of start going down that path, I always have them read that book because I think it's a really important thing. Um, but you're right, like people start like like just essentially just cutting their legs out from under them when it's just not, it isn't necessary. Like you don't even know if you're going to meet someone or you're going to have these imaginary babies or whatever is going to happen, like let it play out. And then you'll likely be in a position that you'll be able to have a little bit more say in, you know, how long you're able to be gone for maternity leave or what that, you know, what coming back to work looks like for you or whatever. Um, and I know for me, I waited a while to have, to have kids because I wanted to be in a role that I had some of that flexibility. Um, and I wasn't a, you know, a first or second year sales rep when it's, you know, you just, you don't have as much at that point. Um, so I think that that's, you know, that's a, a piece of it. Um, but I, yeah, so I think that, I think that, uh, that, having some of those clear and open conversations with, with your employer of just like, Hey, this is where my mind's at. So then you can, you can lean on your, on your supervisors or mentors to help kind of coach you out of things like that. Um, and essentially save you from yourself in some cases, like we all need that sometimes it's just about different topics. Oh my God. You have no idea. There are people (laughs) that I text former guests that I text and I'll just like, it'll be something they'll be like, have you had any water today? <laughs> did you did you eat? Did you sleep? Maybe let's hold off on that plan that you've just <laughs> sent me and let's let's talk about you know like right. you know at the podcast it's amazing this podcast has brought some of like my biggest you know allies uh, to me and mm-hmm. so um Every once in a while I have, I'm like, I think I'm going to do this. And they're like, "Hmm, okay, well, so what if, where do you think that's coming from? Um, Oh, what a good question. Yeah. (laughs) And I think sometimes, you know, we, uh, we as women, a lot of those thoughts are unconscious. Like we just don't even realize that's what's happening. Um, We see our friends in other industries that, you know, have more time or have Mm a more uh, stable schedule, (laughs) you know, where Mm -hmm. like, and, and we see people moving forward and we get worried about our own forward movement in some of those respects. Um, I think generally too, you know, something that I know Kathy brought up is that there's, you know, 
people coming into the workforce now are valuing their free time more and mm-hmm. um, and the experiences that they can have utilizing that free time as opposed to in generations past. And so then what do we what what do we do for the general populace of of new employees coming in? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we you know when we first uh, first got up here in Oklahoma City, the you know the kind of our culture was you worked every game, and so seventy home games uh, plus you know additional events that we would host here, and so mm-hmm. it just that's a lot. Um, and uh, you know within probably the last four probably the last four years, um, you know we we don't ask our our employees to work every game because I'm not going to work every game. So, <laughs> that, uh, so we always want to make sure that we're, that we're being, I think just respectful of not everyone has, you know, not everyone has a family, not everyone has kids that would be, you know, like something that is pretty justifiable, right? Like, Hey, I'm not going to work tonight's game because I have to be home with my family. But like, even if you, if you don't have that, you still have other important things in your life. So whether it's a family or friends, or you take a yoga class and you really want to get that at some point, like whatever that is, that's not up to me to decide what's important to you. Um, but we want to make sure that people have opportunities to, to have as much flexibility as we can. Or Um, how are you supposed to start a family? You know, right. You know, right. And I, I get, you know, it's so funny because I know every once in a while I'm like, you know, these people must look at me and be like, what does this chick do? You know, she's here and she leaves and we're here all night putting things together for an event, you know, and, you know, it's not like she's running home to a family. She's got a cat, you know, and, and like, you know, mind you at the end of the day, like I can barely read a sentence because all I've been doing all day is like, you know, looking at contracts and right. And, 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 you know, it's, it's an interesting um, dynamic in sports sometimes between the different departments. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and that, actual needing to be there physically in order to do your job versus not. And, um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's really good and we don't, I don't think we spend enough time focusing on, you know, like the people that are on the field are, you know, some of the fittest people in the world. Typically (laughs) every Mm -hmm. once in a while you get one, you go, really? Um, (laughs) they're usually a pitcher. Um, (laughs) right. Uh, and you know, we don't, we don't allow space for our own or like provide resources for the day-to-day staff, you know, Mm -hmm. on the business side to, to do the same to, you know, you would think everyone who work like, it's like everyone who works at Iron Man must all, you know, be actually, I think at Iron Man, you typically, you do have to have had to have done a, an Iron Man to work there, I think is like a rule, but you know, like it's like, no, we're not all like top athletes. I mm-hmm. barely have time to go for a 20 minute run in the morning. What do we do? How do we make that better? Cause that's only going to enhance the experience for everyone. Right. And give people yeah. more energy. Well, and the thing is, I think that people, you always make time for things that are important to you. And so if you, if you prioritize exercise more than you prioritize happy hours, then that's how you're going to spend your night off. Um, so again, I'm not here to, not here to judge. I'm not here to tell anyone that they should or shouldn't be going in a, a certain direction. But I think that 
you know, that's up to, to people to make that decision for them, for themselves. I think, I think when there's an organization like yours that does have some of that flexibility built in that, that, Mm -hmm. that that's true. I think Mm -hmm. in far too many organizations, we give people stupid jobs to do for no reason. And, and, you know, just to make sure everyone's there when in reality you could probably get a part-time person to help out and rest your full-time staff a little bit Mm -hmm. from time to time, you know? Yeah. Oh, I, I hear that for sure. But that's been, you know, that's been something that's been a pretty, a pretty key area of focus for us. Um, and you know, it's, it's also the nature of our business is we work when other people play, right? So Mm -hmm. Our, our sellout nights, our Fridays, Saturdays, and, and throughout the course of the season, you know, I, I do need you to be here because we have all accepted the challenge and the opportunity to basically be the, uh, the best hosts that we can be for our fans. Um, and so just having that mindset of you are, you are working while other people are playing is, uh, is pretty key. Oh, for sure. Um, what do you do by way of self-care? Hmm, well, I, uh, <laughs> I wish that I, uh, was really fell into the category of prioritized, um, exercise and, and things like that. But, um, but I, I don't right now. Um, but I will share with you, I have a standing five week, uh, every five week I have a hair appointment that is a non-negotiable for me. <laughs> um, and I will, uh, and I will take that during the work week. Um, and, um, and so while I'm, while I'm there, that's, that's kind of my time, um, to, uh, to, to do that. Um, and so that's been something that I've, I've started in the last couple of years. I used to try to like really like rearrange stuff and try to do it on weekends and everything. And I'm like, you know what? I, I just can't. So I, I need to do it during the week. I'm going to take an extra long lunch, but like, that's okay. Because, I do a lot of things during, during business hours or during non-business hours where I'm still working. And I think it's a pretty easy thing to, uh, to justify. And on the flip side, if anybody ever came to me and said, Hey, I need a little bit of extra time because I need to do this or this or this, because I didn't get a chance to do it because we had a homestand this weekend, then I'm okay with that. I, so one, I think a standing hair appointment is perfectly within the self-care realm Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, and, and can be super relaxing. And if that's, you know, if that's your thing, that's your thing. I think that's, that's great. But I think it's also really important to recognize that like you don't need to make your weekend, you know, or whatever day you may have free, like the errand express day. Right. Mm -hmm. And that it's okay every once in a while to like, get your nails done at lunch. I've had to do that a few times this year, you know, Mm -hmm. or, you know, and it, it, the work is there. It was going to be there. You're probably working more than 40 (laughs) hours a week anyway. Like, you know, so for you to be a man, you know, in a management and leadership position where you also allow that within your staff, I think is so good. And it's, it's good role modeling. I, my only thing is that you just have to come, like, you got to come tell me about it. You can't just disappear for two hours and be cool with that. Um, but, but it's, but it is, it's totally like, I will never nickel and dime you for your time as long as you don't do it for mine. Yeah, for sure. I think that's, I think that's great. Um, 
Well, I want to thank you for being on our podcast and taking the time. I know we, we had to reschedule a few times, um, you know, rain delays and all. (laughs) Right. We had a lot happening. Yeah. (laughs) But, um, I'm so glad that we, we did finally get the time to have this conversation. Absolutely. I really appreciate you, um, you inviting me to, uh, to be a guest. Um, it was, uh, it was a fun experience. And I think you know, the, the silver lining of our failed attempts, if you will, is you and I got extra time to chat. So yeah, that's um, true. <laughs> so we've uh, gotten to know each other quite a bit better. So it's, uh, so that's been fun. I agree. Um, tell everyone how they can kind of follow you the team, whatever you want. Um, I know you've got LinkedIn. Do you have any other of the social? Yeah. I mean, I have Facebook, um, but I don't do a ton with, with work there. And I have to share with you, I've, I've wanted to be on Twitter. Um, although I can never come up with a really clever, um, handle. And I just, I hate the idea of just like being unoriginal. So I haven't done it yet. So, um, if anyone has a really sweet idea for me, I'm, I'm all ears for that. Um, Oh my God. My (laughs) handle is literally my first name, Jenna. Well, I just feel like you you could do better. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Noted. All right. So I'm not uh, all that to say. Um, I am uh, not on Twitter, but um, and then uh, and then our our team is uh, OKC Dodgers um, and we are on all of the platforms. So and um, what about you have LinkedIn, correct? I do. And can people where it's just your name, right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> you'll find her. I promise. Jenna Burns, and it's Burns we'll with it. a Y. It is Burns with a Y. Right. Um, <laughs> I'm now. I'm stuck on finding you a uh, Twitter name. I'm sorry. I'm, I hope you I, do. <laughs> I would be so excited about that. <laughs> like, prez to be Burns. Yeah. Okay. See, Look. prez to be. Oh my gosh, that'd be the best. That would be the absolute best. Your husband's going to hate me. He hasn't even met me yet. No way that's taken, right? (laughs) There's no way. Do it. (laughs) It'd be hilarious. Okay, we're going to wrap this up. Thank you again so much. All right, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you to Jenna for being on the podcast and we we had some scheduling snafus and some technical difficulties so this was actually like our third attempt and I'm so glad that we got to do it it did give us however those little false starts it did give us the opportunity to to speak more often and to get to know each other a little bit before the recording so um, that was that was really great and I'm you know super excited to have her in my my network now and um, I just think that she had so many great tidbits for y'all. So I hope you took some notes and, um, and that you take her up on her offer and reach out to her. Speaking of reaching out, um, I love the emails that I've been getting from people. So please continue. Uh, they make me feel warm and fuzzy inside. Um, you can email at ltpfpod at gmail.com. And then you can follow us on the social, which we would really love for you to do so that we can get some interaction going on. And that's at LTPF pod on Twitter.
Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We're trying to be really good on those these days. And then make sure you are subscribing, rating, and reviewing. Did you know that it takes like not even 30 seconds to rate and review the podcast on your favorite podcatcher? Um, Can you do that, please? Pretty, 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 please. Um, We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, RadioInfluence.com, and LTPFPod.com. Thank you all for listening again this week, and I will be back next week with the new episode. This is a Crush Performance Quick Fix on Radio Influence. We reached out to Dan Pink, presenter and speaker. He has one of the uh, most watched TED Talks, as a matter of fact. It's called The Puzzle of Motivation. The abilities that are most important are shifting. It used to be that the most important abilities were these kinds of uh, spreadsheet abilities, uh, very logical, linear, sequential kinds of abilities. But today, uh, those abilities can be outsourced and those abilities can be automated. And so what we have to do now is the sorts of things that computers can't do faster and smart people overseas can't do cheaper. And that ends up being things like artistry, empathy, inventiveness, design, big picture thinking, that those kinds of things, which we can think of kind of sort of metaphorically as right brain abilities, end up being more valuable. Crush Performance with the Crusher, Jeff Crushell, can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com.